Welcome to Travel Stories on the Myelonomics Podcast Network. For episode 20, we celebrate the holiday that we all know and love, Halloween, with travel horror stories. Perhaps not the most horror that you're thinking. We're not talking, you know, Freddy Krueger or anything here. But these stories are definitely where travel went wrong. So, Tom, I'm excited for this episode. We like to say that there's no B-sides on social media and the reality is, is I think we like to share the B-sides here on the Travel Stories podcast. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I would agree. I think this is some of the things where, again, hopefully, you know, people can learn from some of our mistakes. You know, it's not all perfect. You don't get to be an experienced uh, travel person not encountering, you know, some travails in your travel. Exactly. And no matter how much you research, you know, yeah, you can do a little bit of research and you can avoid the, uh, uh, what is that, the T-scam in China where Chinese come up to you and ask if they can practice their English with you and then invite you to tea and and then you get the you know the big steep scammy bill afterwards. Have you had that happen to you? I don't think it's truly happened, but when my wife and I went to Beijing with my mother-in-law, I kind of hung back a little bit and my wife who you know very clearly didn't fit in she was in a bright red jacket and my mother-in-law was in a bright green jacket in beijing in winter time they were walking and i was just sort of trying to fit in in a i think i had a uh, blue sports jacket and a hat and just trying to you know i try to play the look low you know we don't fit in always you know yeah. just because of the nature of how we look well try being an asian guy in uh, maybe africa or something like that that's not exactly you kind of stick out there too yeah, no, 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 fair point. But a gentleman did walk up and start talking to my mother-in-law and my mother-in-law is a very polite and social person. And and so I sort of let it play out for a little bit. And then when he started pointing uh, to go off the path that we had decided, I kind of stepped up and said, hey, you know, I think we want to continue on straight. And the person just slinked away. So, you know, whether or not it was that T-scam or something else, you can research some of those. But But even with that, I think there's a lot of different cases where no matter all the research you do, you're still going to run into, you know, whether it's a scam or or another horror story, so to speak. Yeah, you know, you know, you got me thinking because you know, there's at least two times. Uh, fortunately, I was not scammed, but there was at least one time I feel like I was in Thailand near one of the temples, and somebody came up, was being extremely friendly. You know, they're walking with us. You know, they clearly they clearly wanted something. So I think that could have been an instance where you know, had you engaged with them, had you know, you know, they might have invited you to their house or they might have like took you somewhere and. We didn't end up doing that, but you know that's definitely something that I recall while in Thailand, just thinking, hmm, this seems like a setup for a scam. So I did have my spidey sense was up, and, and I had uh, a little bit of uh, a trepidation around some of the interactions I was having near a tourist spot. And then, you know, I think there's also like in Paris, I remember some, some random people were like, hey, you want to check out some fashion stuff? And I'm like, hold on one second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I need to be offered a deal on a suit or, or some piece of clothing, you know, on the street. I, I think this is probably a little scammy. So I, I didn't engage them, but that's the kind of stuff that I think I was able to avoid. But, you know, strangely enough, you know, speaking of your Chinese tea scam, there was a time that I was scammed. It was in China, not Beijing. It was in Shanghai. And that's probably going to be one of the first travel stories, uh, horror stories here. Uh, I was flying to Shanghai a couple of years ago. I was uh, actually had a, a nice little flight into Pudong International. And I got to use the lovely Pudong Maglev. You know, I don't know how many of you have taken that, but it's 
it's pretty fun. You know, it gets up to about, I think, close to 400 kilometers an hour at top speed, although a lot of times it's slowed down a bit. But it doesn't actually drop you off in like central, you know, Pudong. It, it kind of drops you off at this one maglev station, which then you really do need to take a taxi or a subway to get to kind of, you know, where most of the hotels are. And I'll have to tell you, like getting off an international flight and looking around that maglev station, trying to navigate myself with the poor signage that they had, everything in Chinese, I failed. And I failed big time. So I'm circling around the station a bunch of times and I see, oh, there's a taxi right here. So I'm like, okay, of course, being gullible and uh, not being like a routine Shanghai traveler, I get in this taxi. I, you know, I stick my bag in the back of the trunk and I, and I get in this and it's like, okay, I need to go to the Park Hyatt. So off we go. Everything seems normal for a little bit. And the guy drops me off like well before the Park Hyatt. I'm like, wait, this isn't the entrance to the Park Hyatt. What's going on here? Well, of course, I'm being shaked down for uh, an exorbitant ride here. And he's got my luggage in the trunk. And I, you know, I need to get my luggage out of there. And he's not going to open that up until you know, I give him a, a lot more. I think it ended up costing me like $30 or $40, which is well above market for a taxi ride to the, to the park ride from the Shanghai Pudong Maglev station. I realized, oh, damn, I'm being scammed. Oh, well. So I just pay the guy and never again will I do something like that. Well, and yeah, and that's the challenge, right? We like to go to nice hotels, but by getting a taxi or an Uber, going to those nice hotels, it's also telling, you know, it's sort of conveying to the driver, hey, you know, these folks might have money. And I sometimes think that that opens us up a little bit more. But yeah, taxis and just car transfers in general are one of those things that I feel like it's just so easy. We were in Doha a couple of weeks ago, and I was tired. You know, we had kind of gotten through customs after, ironically enough, doing some lounge hopping. <laughs> Since we were, as, uh, as one does, as one does. Yeah, exactly, as one does. So, you know, had a few drinks, had a nice meal, a couple of nice meals, and probably more than a few drinks. And we get out and... And I'm trying to navigate the Uber app and trying to figure out, okay, what door am I going to go out of Doha Airport? And this guy, you know, kind of steps up. He's like, Uber? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm already skeptical, but I'm tired, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we had gotten off a 12 or 13 hour flight and then we'd spent another three, four hours <laughs> lounge hopping. And he's like, oh, I will honor that. And so we walk with him and we get to his car, which is not an Uber XL, which is what we were looking for. And I'm like, yeah, so you got to do this through the app. He's like, oh, no app? He's like, no cash? I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not doing this. <laughs> like, we were at the car, and then I'm like, you know what? I just wasted five minutes of our lives, you know, probably 10 close to, because we could have been in an Uber and on our way. But I smartened up, and I, I got us back onto the right path, and we Ubered. But there's a lot of times where that's not the case. I mean, there's a lot of times where, you know, there are different tricks that might work and might not work out. When we were in Rio, one of the tricks that I used to use when we would fly into the main airport, GIG, G-I-G versus S-D-U, which is their kind of local airport, is that the taxis would kind of roll slowly down on the departures level because they can't legally pick up mm-hmm. passengers, but they really want to get back to the city. And so they're incentivized. Yes. And I've found that I've not ever been scammed doing that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, going up to the departures level. And you can tell the ones that are really looking for somebody because they're literally driving like five miles per hour whether right. there's somebody right. in front of them or not. But yeah, it's definitely very hit or miss. I was just looking, actually researching a future trip for actually that'll be on uh, probably when this episode gets posted. And Kuala Lumpur, it's like there are two types of taxis that you take, otherwise just plan to be scammed. 
Right, right. You know, I think one of the things you can really do to kind of mitigate this is, and you know, and you may pay for it is, you know, like I think we've done this a bunch of times is go ahead and arrange for that transportation from the hotel. And you know, you're going to pay for it. It's a premium service. You you know, you got the placard and everything person waiting for you. But just as you say, you know, you're just really susceptible after an international flight. I mean, you're tired, you're jet lagged, you know, no matter how nice the premium seat was and how well you might have gotten a little bit of sleep on the plane, you're still in a foreign country potentially. And your senses and your your state of mind may not be at its 100%. And, and you got to go through immigration. And, right. You know, so Luggage. even if you come off perfectly relaxed, yep. you've still gone through some stress, some stuff where you're just not 100% comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love how you said that about, you know, arranging that airport transfer. There are two things that I probably have observed in the last five or probably say seven years from a travel perspective that we do. And I kind of call it, you know, lifestyle inflation, right? Some people like, they like that Starbucks latte or or something else. For us, if we park at the airport, we park in the garage because I want to be able to walk to the airport, you know, my home airport, whether it's BWI or Dulles or Reagan National. And more often than not, I will arrange for a car. Sometimes I'll even arrange for the car through the hotel. And Mm -hmm. the irony about that is, is like two or three times I've been really surprised with the quality. This most recent trip, same as the Doha, we took a transfer to our hotel in Cairo, JW Marriott, Mm -hmm. $25 cost round trip. Mm -hmm. And I had somebody that met me, uh, met us before immigration. I gave him the $75 for the visa on arrival. He put in on our passports himself and he pretty much escorted us all the way to the car. And that's the kind of experience that, you know, I think is definitely well worth. So very much not a horror story, I guess. It sounds kind of quite the opposite. Yeah, exactly. Not a horror story. But we got to get back to the horror stories. Yeah, I guess Um, so. But I would just say one final thought, you know, if you don't do the hotel transfer, you know, and you're in that foreign country, the other thing you can look out for sometimes are some of those uh, taxi or ground transportation kiosks in the kind of the arrival area. I mean, they're not always going to be good. But, you know, sometimes those are good, too. I know we did that in SDU, I think, because we were kind of like not 100% sure where the uh, Uber was going to be. And again, we probably paid more than Uber on that one, but we got a flat rate. We knew what we were going to pay. So, you know, the likelihood of getting scammed after that gets a little bit diminished, especially in some of these foreign countries. Yeah, it gives you a little bit of confidence. Yep. So I guess the next uh, horror story is, unfortunately, one where I was relieved of some of my assets and uh, some of my material in Europe right after a cruise. So, and I'm, we might've mentioned this previously, but this is probably the worst example of, or worst horror story of theft that I, at least I've experienced. So tell us about this. Were you airside or were you landside? I actually was landside. So we were inside Barcelona airport. We had just gotten our boarding passes for our flight on air Europa, as it turned out. And we were just waiting uh, right before security. You know, we're just, you know, we thought, you know, good idea. Let's kind of you know, relieve ourselves. Let's go ahead and, and do a quick bathroom break. So I've got my parents sitting with all, all of our bags and I go in and, you know, go to the bathroom. I'm coming out and, you know, my mom is hysterical because somebody has come through and just swiped my backpack right from underneath her. And it's just so alarming and shocking that she didn't even know what to do. She was just kind of like almost, I guess, uh, paralyzed her for a minute. And unfortunately in that backpack, there was a wallet with over $1,500 of cash uh, in euros and dollars. It had my laptop. It had two iPhones. It had my expensive Swiss watch. It had a lot of different things. And yeah, I immediately went to the authorities there, got a police report, but yeah, no sign of that bag. 
And, you know, I think they probably just grabbed it and went straight into a taxi and left the airport. Yeah, that's definitely a horror story. I've, I've avoided that. But so you got the police report. Mm-hmm. You use Alliance as well, right? For yes. uh, travel insurance? Or did, did you do your homeowner insurance? No, no, no. I did a claim with my travel insurance and they were actually pretty good. I mean, it, it was actually very low friction in getting a claim. But of course, for something like that, you know, the maximum I, I feel like they paid, I forget the exact amount that they paid out, but they made me somewhat wholer, but they didn't cover everything, obviously. I think I probably got close to $1,000 back from the whatever the maximum was for the claim. But that's it. I unfortunately lost more than a thousand dollars worth of stuff. You know, well, it sounded that. like you lost more than a thousand dollars worth of cash. Let alone yeah, just all cash the alone stuff. was over a thousand. You know, it's, it's kind of funny because you know we were coming off this cruise and I was actually gambling in the casino and I had, believe it or not, wonderful stroke of luck. I had gotten the royal flush on video poker. Oh, uh, you got the royal flush. Yes, I swear that my one and only royal flush anytime. And you know, when you're playing the typical like dollar twenty five, I mean that it ends up being over a thousand dollars that you would get from that Royal Flush. No, that's hard. That's even more hard. You, yep. you know, you're coming off a win and you just get dealt yes. this horrible loss. Yes. The highs and the lows in one episode were quite bad. So, <laughs> you know, the point is, you know, if you're in Barcelona, you know, have your radar up pretty damn high, even in the airport. And that's the thing is I think I had, I normally do have my radar pretty high, but you know, it's not like my bag was unattended. It was just sitting on a bench next to my elderly parents. And unfortunately, that's kind of important because- you know, even though it was being monitored, it was not being monitored, I think, to the point where somebody coming in and doing something very a swift maneuver was able to bypass that, you know, what would normally be reasonable in terms of preventing people or avoiding problem as far as, you know, monitoring your luggage. Yeah. And a bad actor is going to look for that. An elderly person's probably not going to run after, try exactly. to chase. They're probably not going to have the strap wrapped around their arm. And unfortunately, Barcelona has a little bit of a reputation, at it least does. In, in, it does. In, in my experience. It's, it didn't help it's, that uh, we just come from the Air Europa business class check-in, so. Oh, geez, even worse. Yeah. That's probably one reason why I've only been there once and haven't been back. We didn't have a bad experience, but you know, we just sort of, it didn't It's wow a great us. city. It's a great city. Just don't have a lot of cash on you. That's probably the moral of the story. Yeah. And just to circle back once on that uh, travel insurance, my understanding is, is like, most of the travel insurance that we end up doing for either trip interruption or you know loss or theft, the maximums are really low. I yes. think for the alliance that we use or that I use for my family, I think the health insurance is actually you know quite good. It's mm-hmm. just the other things you know that might occur more frequently have a much lower threshold, and you can max out your policy in one event really. So yep. Yep. in my experience, I tend to look first to like the credit card sort of stuff. But I don't know if Chase's travel insurance covers theft. I yeah, wonder now. And you know, the thing is, is like with travel insurance is I think that is a coverage you can probably get a higher limit on, but you're probably going to be paying a pretty good penny. And what is the actual likelihood? You're probably better off just being more cautious and just not putting yourself in that position. Had I to do it again, I probably, if I, when I think about it, knowing that Barcelona was my both, you know, embarkation and disembarkation city. I probably should have traveled with fewer, you know, high cost things, you know, it probably would have been probably makes some sense. And that would probably be the case in other parts of the world where, you know, you kind of have a higher likelihood of encountering a theft situation. Oh, absolutely. My wife leaves her uh, engagement ring home more often than not, just some of the places that we go. Continuing on that thread of landside at the airport, mentioned the Cairo visit just a week or so ago, arriving at the airport to depart. 
Cairo is one of those airports where you've got to go through, first, you've got to go through an itinerary check before you can get into the building. And we're doing this at, at 5 a.m. in the morning. So we're already tired. It was one of those, you know, jet lag nights with our daughter. So, you know, we're all sleep deprived. You go through that document check and then you've got to go into a line for getting through security just to be able to get to get your boarding passes, right? To check in. Well, the premium line where we were flying had people that just had like, you know, five, 10 bags, you know, we're talking like the big bags, like that I could fit in. (laughs) (laughs) They could very well be, you know, trafficking bodies in those things. And so those security screeners were really backed up. And so we were sort of looking, we weren't really scrambling because we had plenty of time, but you know, our daughter was just not in the mood to be doing anything at 5am in the morning. Mm -hmm. And my Mm -hmm. wife clearly played off of that. And she saw a red shirt and there were a handful of these these guys in red shirts. And, and he walks over and he's like, that's all you have. I can take you to this other screener and there's no line. And I'm like, okay, okay. And, and so, you know, one takes my wife's bag and they're 10 feet ahead of me. The other guy turns to me and he's like, you have cash. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, uh-huh. I just got into it. And I didn't have any small dollars. So I gave him 20. And, uh, Again, I was tired, you know, in hindsight, I'm not really happy with it, but maybe, you know, me sharing this story prevents somebody else from having to do it. Right. And he's like, make sure you take care of my friend who's taking care of your wife and her bag. And I'm like, okay, fine. You know, I'll do the right thing. Maybe it's not the right thing. You, you know, these guys probably got a really nice payday because, they, you know, if I had a $5 bill, that's what they really should have gotten. Right. You know, right. Because they probably did save us about a half hour. Okay. But needless to say, so now I'm out $40 because those were the smallest dollar bills I had. Wow. It was a rough 30-minute savings. You saved time, but you didn't feel great about it. Oh, I felt horrible about it. It was one of those things where, you know, yeah, we have the $20, $30 rule, but it was still one of those where I was just gritting my teeth through it. And one of these guys has the audacity, a third person has the audacity, because clearly they talk, right? Yeah. And I'm just about to go through, and he's like, you have some money for me? And I looked at him, I'm like, no, your colleagues cleared me out. Yeah. Yeah, he just kind of yeah. walks away, you know, deflated. Like, you know, clearly you're Mister Moneybags. You're giving everything out. Yeah, I think I guess the rule of thumb there is, you know, have some small change on you and and kind of load up on those small bills when you're when you're traveling. You know, especially you know, I'm pretty sure you can pretty much tip in U.S. currency around the world, and most well, people are still happy. Exactly. And the other thing that I usually do, and I had done it in previous points on this particular trip, but I just forgot to have anything because I didn't expect to be paying any sort of tip at this juncture mm-hmm. is have small change outside of your wallet because ah, they see your yeah. wallet and they're that's like, Oh, point, okay. Yeah. He's, he's a, got, he's, yeah, he's he's got some stuff. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Yeah. Those were some experiences that I just, all these things that we know, but you get that, you know, early morning departure or that bad night's sleep where you're just not firing on all cylinders and you make some of those newer traveler mistakes and, and, you know, and sometimes it stings. <laughs> it makes you wonder what happens in that situation if you don't have any cash. I'm like, they're like, oh, I have, look, nothing, you know? Like, what, what uh, would I'm happen? I'm sure they just say, okay, go back in line. I mean, I have to believe that that's, I mean, they're not going to, you're in an airport, there's security, there's military checking to make sure mm-hmm. that you, you belong there. Right. I don't think they're going to try to, like, you know, do something of theft or worse. I think it's one of those. It's well, you never know, you know? I mean, again, I go back to my Barcelona situation. I think there was. <laughs> You know, you think you're safe in landside in an international airport. I have your shields up, you know, even if you're uh, kind of wondering if you're in kind of one of those safer places. Now, it's such a great point. I mean, you know, we think that we're in air world and everything's going to, you know, be super streamlined and 
and in some of these countries. And I'm sure there are experiences even here in the U.S. that happens. There was a video of a TSA guy who just sort of, you know, slid his finger, uh, slid his hand into into a backpack on camera. I assume he's been prosecuted mm-hmm. and pulls money out of somebody's backpack or pulls something out of out of a backpack as they're going yeah. through security. Yeah. They're bad actors everywhere. I mean, I think the problem with us in particular is, you know, the airport's like our second home, right? You know, it's like for some of us, this is the area where we thrive and we enjoy it. So again, sometimes, you know, you have to calibrate a little bit because, you know, you can still enjoy the place, but, you know, just have your eyes and ears open, right? Yeah, absolutely. Let's move across that security uh, threshold Mm -hmm. and move airside. Oh yeah, let's do it. Now we're in a really secure place, at least I hope, you know, these are hopefully less likely to have bad actors and stuff, but stuff still goes wrong, doesn't it? Unfortunately. And I would offer that the impact can sometimes be even greater once you get past that security threshold and you start dealing with, I think you've got a misconnect problem. Yes. So this is a kind of cautionary tale here. You know, one of the things that we do often is, again, most of us are maybe a, a little bit higher than, than than novices. And so we'll do some more advanced things like reposition ourselves to kind of find a good fare, you know, even if it requires just a little bit of repositioning, you know, from some close by cities. You know, I was in this situation and, you know, I was doing a little bit of Delta flying and I'm thinking, you know what, I, th- I think Delta is pretty reliable. They're not going to cancel or delay me, aren't they? Dun, dun, dun. They did. Famous last words. Famous last words. You know, I knew this was a risk. I knew this was going to be a a possible problem, but I was like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go ahead and just give myself, you know, an hour at SeaTac to, you know, basically transfer between Portland to Seattle, a flight and my Seattle to JFK flight. And normally, and of course I made those plans and I made that gamble and I came up and I failed. So I have to ask, just because, you know, when we talk about those things, usually we look for what's called the minimum connect time or the MCT, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. you know, just to inform whether or not we're being really aggressive or just only somewhat aggressive. Right. What was the MCT for Seattle at that time? Do you recall? I don't recall. I'm pretty sure it was greater than the MCT because, you know, I mean, I've had under hour connection times in SeaTac on Alaska Airlines or on, you know, where both flights are on the same carrier. But in this case, I don't think MCT is really your standard here because, you know, the problem is, is the airline you're connecting to has really no responsibility whatsoever for another carrier's uh, delay, right? Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, I just look at, you know, what the MCT says to think of what's the art of the possible. But, yep. but you're right. You have zero protections. You have Your zero itineraries protection. are not linked. The one itinerary doesn't even know that you're coming in from exactly. someplace else. Exactly. And that's exactly the situation here. I should have known this was actually a little while ago. This was back in 2016. But unfortunately, this particular Portland to Seattle flight, you know, a a really mundane first thing in the morning flight, again, even more or less likely that you're going to have a problem. You know, it's the first leg of the day. But no, luck was not on my side that day. The fun part is I dig this up. I figured out, I took a look at what I had in front of me on this. I was doing Portland to Seattle on Delta. I was doing Seattle, JFK to Rome on American Airlines, and I had booked a coach ticket that had already cleared. My swoos had already cleared. Had already, I'd already been booked into business class for JFK to, to Rome. I had a Rome to Gatwick, technically, in British Airways, and then I had a Heathrow to Dubai in Qantas first class, which was going to be quite the fun flight that I was really looking forward to. I had a stay on points at the Waldorf Dubai. Again, never made it to that Waldorf Astoria. I had a Dubai to Amsterdam on KLM in business, 
and then a further connection from Heathrow uh, or Amsterdam to Heathrow in business on KLM. To top it all off, I was going to have a wonderful trip to the Virgin Clubhouse and fly upper class from Heathrow to Dallas. I had to cancel all of that at SeaTac (laughs) after missing my flight. (laughs) So let's see here. You had one unicorn and you had like 10 points of failure here. Yes. Yes. Like, I mean, if I was a betting man, I don't think I would have said the PDX Seattle was where you were going to run into problems. I I mean, I'm seeing that, you know, arrive into Gatwick and then have to get to Heathrow. (laughs) Yep. That wasn't seems overnight. like it wasn't so overnight. much more. Oh, okay. There was, was an overnight there. There was an overnight there. Dubai was an overnight. And then you've got the Amsterdam connection too. I mean, there. well, and, and I suppose Amsterdam was probably not nearly as bad then as it is nowadays, but you still have an airport where one, you have to go through security at the gate, which obviously, you know, introduces additional risk for a tight connection. But at least that was all one PNR. So the Dubai, Amsterdam, Heathrow, Dulles was one ticket. I've looked back, it, was, it would cost me 70,000 Sky Miles and 400 whatever, you know, United Arab Emirate dinars or dirhams, whatever the AED is. Oh, that's quite the deal, especially that with, was, uh, well, nowadays. With, with Virgin. Well, yes. I'm just thinking from the dollar value with Virgin, yes. that's quite the deal. It was. Well, at least it wasn't a no UK passenger tax because I was connecting. Oh, yeah, that definitely helps that just connecting, even though you were going from one airport. It's easy to get it mixed up. The first time you were going from Gatwick to Heathrow, but the way home you were just going London uh, Heathrow to Heathrow or Heathrow in and out. And all of this because I thought, you know what? I'd rather spend an extra day in Portland with my friend than overnighting in Seattle because that probably was one of my options was to, to overnight in Seattle and then take this flight to Rome via JFK from Seattle. Well, you know, I get there, I get off the, you know, the, the delayed Delta flight, which is delayed more than an hour. And I run to the gate and, and, you know, to their credit, American Airlines, the gate agent that was there was still there. And she was trying to help me. I mean, she was like typing away furiously, you know, like, like you kind of almost like a, almost like a comedy show, you know, you know, where you, you have, you know, those agents, you know, they're on their terminals, but no, no luck for me. And, you know, this was the return segment of a Rome originating flight. Rome originating. So it was probably an FCO to Seattle. Um, Oh, so that's even worse. Yeah. So, I mean, literally the cash value that remained on this ticket was like less than probably the change fee. Mm. So there was really no recourse for me at that point. I remember explicitly being in the lounge, being dejected, but then I'm like, okay, let me just start refunding things and let me look. Well, what am I going to do? By the way, I'm in Seattle. I don't live (laughs) in Seattle, by the way, you know, guys. So I do manage to find a last minute a United flight, Seattle to Dulles. I book it uh, for business class or uh, domestic first. It's probably one of the few times I've booked something in the airport minutes before the flight was boarding. And actually, that's another one I remember. This is going to be interesting. Another sort of horse, not really a horror story, but this was one of the few times where I board this United flight. I started motioning to put my bag in the overhead bin. And this guy that's like right next to me is like, no, this is my space. This is above my seat. Oh, another one of them. Another one of them. Yeah. Again, these people deserve a special place in hell. This is not your overhead bin, man. Come on. What what the hell? I, you know, (laughs) at this point, I, but I didn't, I I don't know. I I was already kind of drained at that point emotionally. So I'm like, whatever, whatever, dude, you do you. Yeah. So when we talk misconnect and I know, you know, Sam and Robert on, on the main show, they often, and believe me, I totally agree with it when you can do it, they're much more focused on, I want to go from point A to point B. I don't want to have to jump, you know, up to San Francisco, or I don't want to have to jump to to New York to be able to fly to my ultimate destination. You and I were like, oh, New York, no problem. Hey, Miami, sure. 
DFW? Why not? So I think I might have hinted at this story uh, some time ago, but I think this was similar time frame, you know, 2014, 2016, sometime around then. We were on this nested by five or six times itinerary, and we were just at the tail end in Rio de Janeiro. And we were sitting in, at that time, it was TAM. It wasn't LATAM. So that kind of tells you how long ago this was. Prior, prior to the merger, huh? Prior to even still, the talk still of the star, merger. still Star Alliance at that point. It was still Star Alliance, yeah. And so we're sitting in the TAM lounge, and we get a notification. We were going to fly TAM down to Buenos Aires, and we were going to have like a couple of hours, and then we we're going to take a United flight back up to Newark. And then from Newark, we were just going to get down to BWI. But we had to get, you know, from Rio to Buenos Aires. Well, it turns out that the flight from Buenos Aires back to the States was delayed by 12 hours or so. And so here I am, I'm thinking I'm a smart one. I call up United's 1K line because that's what I was at the time. And it happened to be actually almost this time of the year too, because it was my birthday trip. And I said, hey, when we were coming through security, we saw that there was a flight from Rio right into Washington, D.C., Dulles. And I said, so can you get me on that flight? We've got this weird itinerary where we've got a, an unrelated TAM flight down to Buenos Aires. And then this Buenos Aires flight is delayed 12 hours. What's the art of the possible? And the 1K agent was just simply fantastic. You know, she's like, give me a minute. I think I can make this work. She ends up working magic, gets us on the Dulles flight. Now, the old days, I don't know if it's still a case because I'm not as big a United Flyer. The old days is when they do something weird like that, your fare class goes, and it was an economy ticket, your fare class goes to full fare economy. So it mm-hmm. went to like a mm-hmm. Y or a B fare. And right. I said, hey, just out of curiosity, it's my birthday. I'm going to ask if it didn't happen, fine. But what fare class are we now in? And she's like, oh, why, of course. And so I'm like, can I apply our system wide? You know, it'd be nice to just fly up in a premium cabin on, on my birthday. And she's like, yeah, sure, no problem. So then she's like, the only kicker is, is you're going to have to go and get your ticket from the land side is what she said. We'd already gone through customs at Rio's gig international airport. And so now I've got to negotiate with the customs guy explaining to him, Hey, we've changed our tickets. We're no longer going to Argentina. We're going to the States. We got to go to the United office. We get to the United office and the gentleman there looks at me square in the face and says, yeah, that flight's not going anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, okay, well, you're going to get me home somehow, right? And so now he starts spouting out options. And the av geek in me is like, you know, that scene of Zach Galifianakis from, I think it was Hangover, where he's got like all the different equations in his head. (laughs) You know, the guy's like, okay, so I can fly you to Sao Paulo and then I can fly you from Sao Paulo up to Newark on United Metal, or I can fly you up to JFK from here on TAM Metal, but then I can't get you home from TAM, uh, from JFK, so you're on your own. And like I'm doing the, I'm like mentally going through trip reports and I'm like, what kind of business class cabin does TAM have? And I'm looking at a 767. I know that's the 212 configuration, the old continental business first thing. And finally, we ended up doing the Newark one. Well, wouldn't you know, we finally get through and we get on a 777, which was supposed to be the flight going to Dulles. And all it does is the Sao Paulo route. And then, no. uh, and so we get to Sao Paulo and we finally do get that 767. By the time we got there, it was just like, you know, you want to talk about being spent. 
we were just beyond yeah. spent. But we turned a potential horror story of having to figure out an overnight hotel in Buenos Aires, plus the fact that you're coming from another country, you've got yep. all those yep. different different pieces. And we narrowly avoided all that pain. So maybe not the most horror of stories, but right. the fact of just recovering from all that, you know, having to go back through customs to be able to get back into the into the country of Brazil. And then, you know, having like, you know, you think you've got the answer and then have the rug pulled out from you twice. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it was Gotta be flexible, you know, and, and the nice thing is, you know, most of us nowadays, you know, whether you have expert flyer or you're able to, you know, do your own searches or, you know, even use some of the, you know, the other award search engines and such, you know, have options, you know, give agents options because in some cases they've got better systems than you to be able to figure these things out. And sometimes it's the other way around. You know, and you can utilize your knowledge of air travel to your benefit and try to find a situation that, you know, is maybe not so bad when you do run into those schedule changes and ops and things like that. But, you know, that that does happen all the time, right? It's part of air travel. It does. It does. And the reality is, is the way that we typically travel, we're much more at risk to it. And I think because of it, we put ourselves in that situation, right? You know, we, we we're the ones that go out of our way to, to fly the best equipment. So it's usually sometimes the, the most indirect route that we're flying and intentionally putting ourselves at risk. <laughs> yeah. So I got one more for you. We did August of last year. This is another one of those repositioned for that great fare. We found a really good business class fare on Air France sold by Delta. We mm-hmm. were sitting on like $5,000 worth of Delta gift cards. In fact, I still have some. That's how crazy these Delta gift cards were. So ended up getting this. I mean, we're talking last year, I think it was like sixteen or $1,800 in business class per person on Air France from Toronto to Paris. Pretty good fare normally, really good fare during the high time of revenge travel. And so we end up flying up on Air Canada at a BWI. Our Air Canada flight was delayed not one hours, not two hours, but three hours. And wow. We had, wow. And we had given ourselves four hours in, in Toronto because we knew we were going to have to go from, I think it's Terminal 1 to Terminal 2 or 3. It was, you know, from the Air Canada terminal, we had to enter Canada and then zoom over to the other, I suppose, the other international terminal or the other terminal and clear security and everything there. And of course, Air France was like the farthest possible gate. Of course. This was one of those cases. I mean, I don't think I've ever been sweating on fearing of actually missing a flight. Mm-hmm. This one was probably our worst. It was such that my wife, as she's pushing our daughter in the carrier, you know, the carriage, is negotiating with the people in front of us in the customs line and mm-hmm. then in the security line and just figuring out like, I've never seen her do social engineering so magnificently. I mean, had she not been able to do that, we would not have made it. So she gets us through the vast majority of customs and we get into the country and we make it all the way to security. And we're like three people away from security and like they already started boarding. And so my wife very politely asks the couple in front, you know, explains the situation and they're like, oh yeah, our flight's boarding too. Well, (laughs) there's a wheelchair in front so there's a wheelchair in the kind of go position at security. And then there's a nice older couple, you know, behind the wheelchair and in front of this other younger couple. And so my wife very nicely steps past the couple and says, our friends and us are trying to get to our flights. 
they've already started boarding and just wondering, can we just sneak right in front of you to get through security? I mean, it would just mean the world to us. And so, so of course they're very nice and they're like, yeah, they stepped aside. They let all five of us through. And this couple who didn't know us from Adam, they're like helping us get our bags on the conveyor and, you know, they're helping us. We're, you know, we're all kind of working together and we get through. And of course my wife's bag gets pulled for additional screening. Of course it does. I've got the baby in the stroller. I've got my bag. I've got my backpack on. She looks at me. She's like, give me my passport and boarding pass and you guys just go. And so I just, I've never run through the airport like that. I never have. And, and we made that flight. It was very tight to make it, but we actually made it. And so now every time that I see one of those amazing flights out of any of the Canadian airports, which, I mean, we've talked about it on the show before. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Nowadays I look and I think to myself, yeah, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think positioning to Canada is a tough one. I actually have one of those flights. I might need to call and, and see a way about changing it. But I guess in your case, it's another. This is more of an action thriller than a, than a horror movie, right? But when you think about how close you come, yes, I mean the difference between action and horror is like three minutes. <laughs> this this is true. This is true. I probably have one better on you. One where I actually was delayed, and this one was interesting. This was probably. One of the only flights. Well, I'll, I'll get into it actually, if you don't mind. Uh, this, yeah, this absolutely. Was probably, this was probably, I think, one of my longest delays. And the funny thing, it was multiple, multiple incidents of delay because it started. Uh, I was on a multi-leg flight to Hawaii, and starting at, at Reagan National Airport. And this was a couple of years ago. I was actually flying, I think, Northwest at the time, and I was in Northwest. Oh, just a couple of years ago with Northwest. Just a couple of years. Just a couple of years. Ago. <laughs> when was that merger? <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah. Well, you know, they that's a good point. That was quite a while ago. So I was on this Northwest flight, and I was I was a lead member. And, and let me pause you just for a second. Sure, just, sure. Just for any of our listeners that don't know, Delta and Northwest merged, gosh, it must have merged, what, over a decade ago? 2008, maybe? 2000, yeah, so 15 uh, or so years ago. Yeah, this is okay. Mind you, this, yeah, this is a while ago. This is a while ago. Okay, back to the story. Yes, yes. So... Well, and, you know, Northwest, you know, actually, you know, for all its kind of fleas and ticks as a carrier, because, you know, it wasn't exactly the best airline around, but they were known for their reliability. Again, I, and I think really, I think Delta's, you know, being known for its reliability is is one of the inheritance from that merger. Because I think a lot of those operations people from Northwest, they are what caused Delta to be known for being quite an on-time carrier, I think. A shame they've lost them all from the <laughs> pandemic. I think that's what happened. I think all those that generation of ops people just ended up retiring. Anyway, that's probably completely unrelated to this story because we're talking about a, a flight that had an air ops. You know, my first leg on Northwest, I think either to Detroit or Minneapolis, became delayed, and I was going to misconnect. I was not going to make it to Hawaii. So one of the first times I've ever had the agent ended up booking me on United, totally different airport, on a flight to LA, connecting in LA to Hawaii. So I was like, okay. I guess I'll go with this. They wrote me out a voucher, again, paper voucher for a taxi fare. Oh, wow. And I hopped in a taxi from Reagan uh, and went out to Dulles and hopped on a United flight. And that part was pretty uneventful, you know, just a, your, your typical transcon. It was an economy at the time. I was a little bit more of an economy flyer back in those days. Weren't we all? Yes, yes. And I made it to Los Angeles. I'm in the boarding area. And of course, that Los Angeles Honolulu flight decides to get delayed. So I'm sitting around, and I have to say, as bad as Dulles is, I think LA at that time was almost worse uh, in terms of 
how packed the terminal was in terms of having absolutely no place to sit. Oh, yeah. I remember those Hawaii flights. So, yeah. oh, gosh. And not only that, but it's like the up and then the down. That's right. Everything's like they can't maintain a level in that terminal for whatever reason. Oh, gosh. I'm feeling your pain right now. Yes. Yes. Well, of course, we board. We board. We get on the 767. You know, where everything looks fine. You know, we're boarding. I'm sitting down. You know, we're taxiing. We get to the runway. I guess, you know, they get clearance. They start taking off. You hear the engine spin up. <laughs> and I'm like, and then you hear the announcement that happens like, oh, sorry, people. We've encountered some type of a power issue with our with their engines. Uh, we apologize for this delay. We're going to head back to the gate and take a look at what's going on. So, of course. This, this literally sounds like the Millennium Falcon trying to fire the engines up. And then. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. So we, we go back. are dashed. Your hopes are dashed, but I'm still okay at this point. I'm like, all right, fine, whatever, whatever. So I, I get, I get, we get back to the gate. We deboard the plane. We're sitting around for another couple hours. Get back on the plane. <laughs> Again. Again. <laughs> to do all the taxiways at LAX, not exactly short. You know, get to the runway. Engines start to warm up. You know, you hear, you hear the... <laughs> Again. And the cab's like, okay, we tried twice. Sorry, we're canceling the flight. So cancel the flight. I overnight in LA and I forget exactly how late I was. It was probably at least, it was probably more than 24 hours delayed that I ended up being from my originally scheduled flight. So that was probably one of the bigger horror stories. But you know, the funny thing is, you know, even though this was 15 years ago, it's interesting. United was proactive and they sent out like emails to everybody, you know, providing some compensation, not, you know, just, you know, obviously oh, yeah. some service recovery. I remember how they used to do that. Just yeah. your goodwill. And the funny thing is because we ended up taking off twice. I got like two, maybe even three of these uh, emails, you know, <laughs> and they were all ended up being like, you know, codes for like $300 off or something. And I, I think, it, you know what? This was not too bad. This was not a horrible result. I was thinking to myself when I got these emails. You know, though, I almost feel like that's more acceptable than the age old issue that I feel like we have happened far more often, which is the crew times out. I mean, oh, yeah. that is yes. that is yes. the biggest gut, uh, gut punch. I don't have a That's specific true. story for that, but I've had it both ways, right? Like we've had issues, one issue, we were going to Korea and the AC in the cockpit wasn't working. Oh, wow. And so we're <laughs> waiting for a while. We were in business class, so we're drinking and, you know, the flight attendants are chatty and everything's going well. And ultimately, you know, they get it fixed and I'm chatting with the flight attendant and she's like, yeah. We're negotiating to see whether or not we're going to time out before we get in the air. You know, we'll get to that timeout before causing us to cancel. And she kind of quietly walks by afterwards and she's like, we're going for it. <laughs> and we're like, yes. But we've had so many of those issues where it wasn't the case. So I think you've got a final story. Could this be a, another first story for you? It was. I did have one other horror story. And, you know, this is one where honestly, I got pretty emotional. And this is in the really way back machine. This is pre 9-11. This was my first transatlantic flight that I ever took. I had taken international trips before this, had taken, you know, I visited my family in Korea, you know, a couple times uh, before this. But, you know, this was the first time actually flying over the Atlantic. This was my first trip to London uh, with a couple of friends of mine. This was back when I was still in college, I believe. And this one is interesting because, you know, again, this being, let me set the stage for you guys. You know, this was pre 9-11. So this was where when I was flying back and forth from upstate New York, which is where I went to, to college. I had gotten used to this idea of you walk up to the gate and you you didn't even need to go to the ticket counters at that time when you were just doing carry on. Believe it or not, that used to be a thing. You would actually, you could literally get into security, not having a ticket, walk up to a boarding gate 
and be like, hey, I'm on this flight. And they would just print you a ticket if you had a reasonable ticket. And I was used to this. I didn't realize that international flights had different check-in times at, the, at this time. Because, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, pfft. you know, I'm this college kid, you know. And I'm like, I've been to an airport. I know how these things work, you know. So I'm walking up to this, you know, international gate and like, nope, sorry. Yeah, we can't check you in. You're too late. I'm like, what? I'd missed the cutoff time for check-in. And I was just devastated. I mean, my friends were on this flight. You know, I'm basically losing a day of this lovely, like, London trip we planned together. I am, like, totally devastated. Fortunately, one of my friend's fathers had driven them to the airport, was still around, and he was there to be able to drive me back home. But what a horrible situation that was. And it was kind of everything was conspiring against us or me because it was like my dad, who is normally like, you know, a speed demon for whatever reason, he was like driving like super, super slow, you know? Oh, no. And then of course my lack of understanding on, on how these international flights work, there's an earlier cutoff time that worked against me. And yeah, I just remember, you know, being pretty much close to tears walking. Home, oh, I miss my fly. I'm going to not be with my friends. I'm going to miss a day in London and all this other stuff. And so deflating. So deflating. But, you know, I made it there the next day. You know, I was actually on one of the United being a, you know, I think they were talking up the triple sevens at that point because this is pretty first couple of years, I think, of the triple sevens being released and United being one of the launch customers in the United States. So I just remember getting, the, having the nice, you know, triple seven flight over there and, you know, everything else was fine. It's just, you learn, you learn from these things, you know, you get all these horror stories, you know, that's probably the big theme here is, you know, be flexible, learn from your mistakes, learn from all these bad experiences and, you know, hopefully you don't repeat them, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to close it out with two quick little stories. Well, one honorable mention and just a quick story and I'll have to find the episode, but talk about devaluations. Many years ago, I think it was 2016, 2017, I had planned a trip for my father's uh, 70th birthday, father, brother, and I. And mm -hmm. I remember distinctly, I'm sitting at the computer looking at Alaska Airlines website, and I'm looking at Emirates flights. Oh, I, starting to I know where you're going with this. I know where you're going with this. I <laughs> this, remember this. Yeah, this was the no-notice devaluation. I'm... I'm frantically looking for flights. I'm on the phone with them. The agent is telling me that they're disappearing. <laughs> it all ended all right, which is why I say it's not you know a true horror story, but the experience just that night of like, what on earth is going on? And then- Trevor, you need to do a, an episode just of your near misses, man. I mean, your near misses are, apparently, you know, you're just like one, uh, what is it, just ever so slightly more lucky as we record this on Friday the 13th uh, <laughs> than, uh, than some of us. Well, you know something? I get my luck with a word availability in travel, whereas you get your luck with a straight flush on video poker. Okay, fine. Well, sometimes, sometimes. That's not, <laughs> that is a rare event. That is a- uh, that is a unicorn. So I'll finish the Alaska story with, if you want to hear me in perhaps a very completely unvarnished manner that was probably about, my Irish was about as up as it's ever been on a podcast. I'll put a link to the Saverosity Observation oh, okay. podcast that Joe Chung and I talked about this very experience. I think Joe still remembers that, that experience. I remember, you know, I was just... <laughs> I was maybe like 5,000 miles, Alaska miles away from that threshold to be able to book, you know, EK first. And oh my God, when that devaluation happened, I was just like, oh my, come on guys. Talk about bait and switch, man. 
Oh God. Yeah. I mean, an Emirates first is just such an amazing product. Mm-hmm. It was a gut punch. Thankfully, you know, again, it was a near miss, but the experience that night of just watching this availability disappear, being on the phone and hearing the agent saying it's disappearing and thinking that this glorious thing that I convinced my father and my brother to apply for random credit cards that they didn't even fully understand why, you know, what the strategy was. They just got these cards. <laughs> Because I said, hey, we'll have a really fun trip and we'll fly Emirates first. I think the moral of this story is, you know, book first, ask questions later. I mean, I think uh, totally. I had, I had that recently happen to me too. I was like, I was not thrilled about this one trip until I couldn't book it anymore. You know, and I, when I went to go look for it, it was gone. Nothing will, will deflate you, you know, and your award search more than finding something which you are kind of on the fence on. But then the minute it's gone, you were totally wanting it from the get-go. You I just mean, didn't you, realize it. You just snatched defeat out of the claws of victory. Exactly. Exactly. And nothing hurts as much as finding an award trip that kind of works and not having pulled the trigger and being too tentative. Oh, absolutely. And then uh, just an honorable mention, just because we don't know how much of a horror story this is really going to be. But uh, I think a lot of us looked at the news in early September. And we've tried to avoid talking about it on this podcast because everybody else. Is I was going to say that was, wasn't that a little bit of a badge of honor? You know, we were going to be the one podcast that didn't talk about all the Sky Miles craziness that happened in September. I know, I know, but I just feel like when we're talking about horror stories, for a lot of people, that was, hey, I'm getting rid of credit cards. I'm getting rid of stuff. So we'll just mark this as honorary mention. I mean, the, I think uh, I think Sky I think Miles, Sky Miles is has got to be like the Friday the Thirteenth or the Purge or Saw or one of these. You know, Halloween, you know, one of these horror story trilogy or not trilogy, horror story, you know, dynasties out there. They're the perennial offender on cuts and cuts and cuts. I was just going to call him the Grim Reaper, but yeah, the perennial offender works. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the show. Thanks for joining us. And we hope you enjoyed listening. Yeah. So if you've enjoyed this episode, consider becoming a Milenomics Patreon member and get access to even more in-depth miles, points, and travel content. (laughs) 